Good morning, church. Uh, Brendan and I have been gone for a, a couple of weeks. We were actually ill last week. Um, uh, an unusual thing. It's, I, I was trying to remember how many Sabbaths that both of us had missed um, because of illness. I, it's, it's probably less than a handful. Um, as, uh, as it is true that there's a lot of stuff going around, my suggestion, especially for you, those of you who are introverts, hug people. Fewer germs on their back than on their hand. So just hug them. You know, and if you're especially introverted and it's not been an experience of yours before, think of how great a shock it'll be to them, and they'll just, it'll be fun to watch. As we, uh, as we begin today, we're kind of wrapping up February's discussions of love. Um, we've been talking about it, Pastor Marlene and Pastor Tim and I, over these last five weeks, five Sabbaths this February. Isn't that cool? The shortest month, got an extra day, and we squeezed in an extra Sabbath. Praise the Lord. You get an extra day of rest this month, more than you've had in years and years of February's. I want to talk to you today in sort of a a wrap-up of it, of the idea of love in an empty universe. I just want to start there with you and launch into where that might take us. A guy calls up God. Really smart guy, figured out how to use a cell phone to get God, so super smart. Calls up God and he tells God, hey God, we don't need you down here anymore. I am really smart and I figured out how to make life. God said, really? Good job. Way to go. Consider this a divine pat on the back. So show me. And the guy says, show you? This is a telephone. God says, but I can see you. Well, the guy goes, okay, I'll show you. You just keep watching from however you're watching. He says, first, you get a scoop of ordinary dirt. At which point God says, hold on, just stop right there. You said you were able to create life, right? Yes, I did. And, but you want to start with a scoop of ordinary dirt, right? You, yeah, you have to start with the dirt, right? He goes, no. That's my dirt. Make your own. We have this Latin phrase. It's called creation, or it's, it is creation ex nilo. Somehow, Sam, I have, oh, there it is. Never mind. Lose my head if it weren't attached, as my mother used to say. Creation ex nilo. Does anyone know what creation ex nilo means? Tim has a dollar for you if you know what this means. There we go. See, Michelle, Tim, Tim, pay Michelle. She knows wherever you are listening from. Out of nothing. Creation out of nothing. And now think about what nothing is. Nothing is nothing. So the guy has to get his own dirt. Why? Because God created the dirt too. Creation ex nihilo is a very interesting idea. It says that before God started making stuff, there was no stuff. 
there was only God. A universe, which I don't know that you could really call it a universe, if all it contained is God. Way to go, Tim! Tim just paid up. Did you wait? Did you also pay Antonietta? Okay, that's right. She's right there. Don't forget. She figured out your sneaking math problem. She deserves two bucks. She also said it was easy. <laughs> Creation out of nothing means that before God started everything, there was nothing. I don't know if you can get your mind around that because you've never lived in a place where there was nothing. Even just the atmosphere around us, there's air, there's stuff. It's moving in and out of our lungs. We don't see it, but it's there. Creation ex nilo. So now you've learned a Hebrew word beginning in January. The word was tov, right? Both of these things are related to creation. Tov is the word that, that it was good. It was, you know, later it was going to be tov meat, which is really good. So when you have dinner and your, your spouse has just worked hard over it and you, you finish your meal and you have that satisfied, amazing feeling, feeling, remember to say to your spouse, Tov Mayat. That was Tov Mayat. You might even say it to someone who's serving you in a restaurant just to see how they respond. But you've learned the word. Tov. It's good. Tov Mayat. It's really good. And a little Latin. Creation ex nihilo. Now, why start with this creation from nothing stuff? Because we believe that God is love and is motivated by love. So if you are alone, the three of you, put that in your proverbial pipe and smoke it. If you are alone the three of you. Why start if you know the mess it's going to cause? You're out there. Nothing bad is happening. In fact, it's just the three of you. It's Tov Mayat all the time. And you decide to start this creative process. Now I want to start with a, 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 just an insight to yourself. Everybody here is creative. I know some of you say, not me, I'm not creative, I'm a math teacher. Have you seen, Antoinette is a math teacher. Antonietta is a math teacher. Have you seen what she does for a potluck decoration? Everyone here is creative. Everyone here is creative in some way. You do not, even those of you who spend your life putting numbers in little boxes, you know you get creative. I have seen some of your spreadsheets. They have colors in them. I have seen you guys do, hey, I know what will be cool. We'll figure out a whole bunch of, of things to add together and fill into this little box over here. It's a creative process. Every one of us is creative, made in the image of a creator. But I want to talk about the motivation of that creatorship. Creation ex nihilo allows room for the next Latin lesson of the day, creation ex amor. You know the word amor, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the word love. It's the, the Italian slash Latin word for love. Creation out of love. Creation with nothing there, nothing in the way. It allows room, it allows opportunity for creation simply motivated by love. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. If God had to answer some problem in the universe, creation would be as a result of the need to answer that problem, right? If creation was just some press back against some evil power, then God would have had to do something motivated by that to stop it. If creation is there simply for some other show-off sort of a reason, then creation exists because God is showing off. But if there is nothing, and we look for the biblical motivations of God, the Bible says God acts out of love and is in fact the expression of love. Creation ex nihilo means that we have the opportunity, and I would argue we have the foundation of creation out of love. I want you to look at your neighbor, even if they're far down the road. You guys might have to shout at those guys down there. Look at your neighbor, tell them, you were made out of love. David, say that really strong to Lee, because he needs it a couple of times. You were made out of love. The motivation for your existence is love. The next time you're looking in the mirror, feeling bad about the person in the mirror, the, the reason that person exists is because God had a heartbeat to create them. Because they come out of the heartbeat of God. It comes out of the expression of who God is, that you and I exist. Creation for the motivation of an expression of love. Now I want you to I want you to hear one thing that I'm not saying. I am not saying God needed to create so that he could love. Because that isn't necessary. As soon as God needs something, he ceases to be God. Right? As soon as God needs something from you, from me, or from anyone else, he ceases to be God. There was a triune God who was all alone out there, the three of them. They had places to express their love. They had ways to express their love. But he created because of an interest in love. He created out of love. Creation out of nothing leaves us with creation out of love. You with me so far? Two Latin words to get you started today. Here's how uh, a Cambridge University professor. So we've got we've gone to Latin, Hebrew, and a Cambridge University professor. We have no higher authorities other than maybe the Bible, because there is no external constraints on God's acts of creating. Everything exists out of the sheer freedom. Get the word freedom. The sheer freedom. Of God's love. Everything exists out of the sheer freedom of God's love. Do you believe it? It's a life changing understanding about yourself, it's a life changing understanding 
about the expression of who God is in your life and your relationship with Him. Creation exists out of the sheer freedom of God's love. Ephesians chapter 4. We were here, chapter 1. We were here just a a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 1, verse 4. The description of how God thought of you before He started working on the planet, before the foundations were formed. Now, you can go back as far as you want with the foundations of the earth. The scripture, the, the scripture in the King James says that he did this out of the foundation, from the foundations of the earth. He, did, he selected you before the foundations of the earth. The, 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 the word as it's described in this more uh, contemporary language he loses that idea of foundations. But I, I want you to think about foundations. What were the foundations for creation? Did God start with creating time? I don't know. Maybe he did. You don't think so, but I, I don't know. Did God start with creating gravity? It was a heavy moment when he decided to do that. Did God start with creating matter? What did God start with? Maybe God started with creating math. What are the foundations? Whenever we see this, we think of our planet. We say the foundations of our planet. But there were foundations before those foundations, right? Things were there. Stuff was happening. God existed. There were angels. There was a heaven. Some wild stuff that went on before we ever showed up. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even before He made the world, God loved us. He did what? Loved us. Even before God made the world, He loved us. So before you existed, God loved you. You are so loved. God sent His only Son. Before the, crea- before the creation of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Get the picture. Before the creation of the world, God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. That means before He started the creation's foundations, He said, these people are going to mess it up. When he started the process, he said, they're going to mess it up. When he started the angels, he knew Lucifer would mess it up. Before he started any of the work on this planet, the decision was made that Jesus would sacrifice himself. That one third of the Godhead, one person of this this eternal trio would sacrifice himself, would become a human being to rescue the likes of us. In His love, motivated by His love, He went forward anyway. So you know that phrase in Hebrews? By the way, this is, we're going to talk about this a lot in Easter. Don't miss Easter. This, this year at Easter, we're going to talk about before the joy set before Him. Because of the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. But think about this back. Roll the clock back. For the joy set before Him, He started the creative process. There was just God. And nothing else but for the joy set before him. He began to express the love in his heart in a creative manner. And out of that, or in doing that, knowing full well the consequences of that decision. But the joy set before him 
drove him forward. The joy of you. The joy of love. The joy of the expressions of love that float around in our little messy planet. The joy of you loving your kids. The joy of you loving your spouse. The joy of you getting love. The joy of that warm place in your heart that gets touched when somebody wraps their arms around you and really loves you. The joy of that moment when a tiny little toddler comes up and throws their arms around you. For all of those joys that God perceived would be yours, for all of those joys that God shared in His immenseness, He decided to go ahead and lay the foundations and get His start. There was the conversation out there in the ethereal expression of nothingness where only God existed. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are saying, well, we know what's going to happen. Yeah, but that's okay. We'll take care of that too. I'll go. Well, we're going to have to be like them. I'll go. Anticipating the blessings that would come, they started. There was nothing. And then there was something. And that something would cost God everything. And he did it because of love and anticipation of the joy that would be. Wow. How amazing is that. Before he made the world, God loved us so much and chose us in Christ for knowledge to be holy and without fault in His eyes. In a tree just outside of Jericho, there was a little guy. We talked about this during the children's story. If you missed the children's story, you shouldn't. They're so cute. Get here earlier. What held you up? You got to work on time. Excuse me. Did I say that out loud? To remember I have a mic on sometimes. There was a tree that grew just outside of Jericho. The Bible says Jesus was passing through Jericho. And this little guy, who's not a good guy, wants to see Jesus. Now we don't know what has happened. John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry had been around there. We don't know if he had run into John. Desire of Ages seems to indicate that maybe he had run into John before and he had heard the preaching of John the Baptist and it was spurring him on toward Jesus. Perhaps he had seen or heard of Jesus' reputation. For whatever reason, the motivation isn't clear in the text. It just simply says that there was this man named Zacchaeus who lived in Jericho. He was a chief tax collector. He was a very wealthy man, but he was diminutive. He was challenged. And when the crowds were gathering around Jesus, he couldn't get through the crowd. Would you let this guy through the crowd? He's not a good guy. He's been stealing from people in your community for years. And he wants to get through the crowd. The crowd would tighten up when a guy like this wanted to get in. They wouldn't let him in. You and your short stuff can sit sit out. So he runs on ahead of the crowd. Think about who this guy is. 
Very often your first step to Jesus is humility. Very often our first step to Jesus is recognizing our condition and humbling ourselves to get to Jesus. This guy runs ahead, runs, hurries, rushes, finds a fig tree that's big enough. You know, not all fig trees are big enough for you to climb. And he heads up the side of this tree. If you go to Jericho, they've got a couple of these around. They will tell you if you go to the center of Jericho, this is the one. It ain't. It's impossible. They don't live that long. I have more faith in the olive trees than the fig trees, or than the, uh, the sycamore tree. He climbs up this tree, finds himself a limb. Now, you're climbing in a skirt. Ladies, how do you do that? With difficulty. He manages to get up the tree and somehow claim his dignity back as best he can. And here comes the crowd. Do you know sometimes you have to get in the path of where Jesus is coming to feel the blessings of Jesus? Do you realize that a lot of the reasons you don't feel the blessings of Jesus is because you've gotten off the path? You really do understand that we ride the waves God produces. We don't produce the waves, right? So what you want to do is get in the way. You want to get in, out in front of that wave. Let it wash over you. Let it carry you down. He gets out in front of the wave. Here comes a wave full of people coming right at him. All he wants to do is see this guy. See if he's all that people say he is. He has no anticipation of anything else happening in this moment. And here he comes right under the tree. Now, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if, if I've got a skirt on and Jesus is coming under my tree, I'm tucking this skirt extra. I, I just, I'm pretty sure I'd never feel comfortable in a kilt. Jesus stops. And you know when Jesus stops, the whole crowd stops, right? So instead of one guy he wanted to see, now he's got 50 people looking up at him. He wasn't counting on this moment. He went from humble to humiliated. Now all these people who know him, know his reputation, know what kind of guy he's been, looking up in the tree at him. And then Jesus speaks, which is worse, because now he calls attention to you, just like I did. Sorry. Kind of. And he says, Zacchaeus, Jesus knows your name. Which is cool and scary. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. I'm staying at your house today. Jesus is traveling, as I told the children. Jesus is traveling from home to Jerusalem. He is probably planning on spending the night at Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus comes with an entourage. He's like Elvis. He's got the the sons of thunder Peter and Andrew, who are like the inner circle of guard dogs. And then he has the rest of the guys who just kind of hang around and be next to Jesus. I don't know. Thirteen of them are coming over to Zacchaeus' house that we know of. They share dinner. And Zacchaeus is transformed that night. We don't know what Jesus said. The Bible doesn't record what Jesus said. 
it just tells us that Zacchaeus' heart is moved and transformed by that. I was reading some notes in my wife's notebook. Don't do this without permission. We were both at a conference in Boulder, Colorado, the One Project, a couple weeks ago. That's where we were the previous week. <clears throat> I missed an entire talk because somebody wanted to, wanted to tell me something. And I didn't read a lot of the notes. But I read a note because I was going to talk to you about Zacchaeus. I read a note about Zacchaeus in the notes. And it said... Jesus was indiscriminate about who he loved. He loved both the oppressed and the oppressors. Can you get your mind around that? When when Jesus picks up Zacchaeus, do you know what his reputation is? He's a guy who has given himself over to supporting the enemy. He's on the other team. He's supporting the Romans. He's collecting from his own people taxes to support the Roman Empire. To support these infidels who have come and occupied Israel, who have built their stinky little tower up right next to the temple so they can see in. So their soldiers and their governor can be right there on top of everybody watching God's divine people on God's divine hill. This guy supports those guys and Jesus goes home with them. Because if your motivation is love, and you created from the beginning out of that motivation. And this guy is part of that creation. You love him. Because he's yours. Oppressor or the oppressed. He loves both of them. I don't know if you can get your mind around it. I'll tell you how to start. Pray for your enemies. Scripturally, it is the challenge for a maturing believer. Pray for your enemies. You want to take your faith to another level? Stop just praying for your family and start praying for the people you hate and that hate you. Especially the ones that hate you because you don't hate anybody anymore, right? Because you follow Jesus. He was a chief tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So not only is this guy one of the people who has sold out to the Romans, he's the leader of the people who have sold out to the Romans. This is a bad guy. He's a bad guy in spades. 
But he wants to see Jesus. If Zacchaeus type walks into the building today, do we let him see Jesus? Or do we have the deacons throw him out? How open are we to the people we even disagree with? How open are we to the people that aren't like us? You know, it's been said for generations that the most segregated time in America is church time. Because we split up in our groups, right? I love the fact that there's a mix of faces in here. I'd love to see it so mixed up we didn't even notice there were mixes anymore. It was just us. But if somebody walks through the back door, do they get the welcome? If they're not, Measuring up. It was just a tree that was there with a little guy in it who couldn't find any other way to get to Jesus. But in church, if we're going to live like Jesus, we're called to love people in the church. That means, by definition, that they were out of church to begin with, right? It means, by definition, they weren't part of us. We love them into us, right? I know you folks, and I know you to be very loving towards me. I know you to be very loving to one another. I also know that some of you hate Donald Trump. I know that some of you hated Barack Obama. I know that some of you hated George Bush. I know that some of you hated Bill Clinton. I know that some of you who are old enough hated the first George Bush. And those of you even older than that, some of you hated Ronald Reagan. And you know what I just did? I just described the alignments we choose. That's one of them. There are so many others. There are so many others. Some of you hate Yankee fans. Pastor Greg's not here. You can admit it. Some of you hate Dodgers fans. Some of you hate Giants fans. Some of you hate... You pick it. We set up our little groups, right? We align ourselves with little groups because we need the fellowship. We need the connection. We need people around us who think like we do, support us, and talk like us. But in all of these alignments, immediately we eliminate somebody else from us. You're not us. This is us. Isn't that kind of the opposite of the motivations that started the whole thing? Because there was an us, 
and that us said, let there be more. And let's love that more. They won't be us. Some of them are going to be opposed to us. But let's love more. Let's spread the arms of our eternal reach out around more. And he, he gave us this moment to walk like him. C.S. Lewis says, the church is not a human society of people united by their natural affinities. Get that, get those points. Look around. Just take a quick, quick, quick scan across the group. Some of you people have heads so horrible looking that God has to keep them covered by hair. (laughs) Just to protect you from the humiliation that would happen if they came out. Right, Jay? Some of us know. Some of you don't. Because you're not like us. C.S. Lewis' description is this is not a society of people united by their natural, natural affinities. But this is the body of Christ. We must go to church. Do you know what C.S. Lewis didn't like church? Probably because everybody who spoke at his church sounded kind of dumb to him. Comparatively, they probably were. But he said, we must go to church. Because church is not a club where we share our affinities. It's a gathering where we care for each other's infirmities. On July 5th, 2020, now I will tell you, I stole this from my friend Sam Lenore. He didn't say this, but he said something similar. On July 5th, 2020, you know what's going to be happening that day? They will be closing up, packing up, and moving away from General Conference on July 5th. General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists will meet through the 4th of July. Uniquely interesting choice. And they will vote some things that I probably won't like. They might vote some things I like. It happens. But there has to be a church on July 5th. Because church is the place where people who don't have the sameness that would make us all us get together in their difference and hold one another up. So on July 5th, no matter what we think about who's in power and who's running church politics. There has to be a church because it's the object of God's fully aware love. Fully aware. He knows all that goes on. He knows all that we're about. He knows all that everyone else is about. He's fully aware. And the church is still the object of his fully aware love. There has to be a church on July 5th 
because it, the church, is God's chosen revelation of his love. He chose this messy thing that we do to be the revelation of who he is. There has to be a church on July 5th, no matter how you feel about what happened on the 4th, and the 3rd, and the 2nd, and the 1st. There has to be a church. This may get me into more trouble. This is if if I this gets me in trouble. It's Sam. Blame Sam. There has to be a church on November seventh. Do you know what November seventh is? It's the first Sabbath after the election. You know I read your Facebook posts. I've blocked some of you. If you're not getting anything from me, it's because you're on the bad list. Santa has a naughty list. I have a blocked list. Between now and the Sabbath after, the Sabbath after the election, we might want to be careful. We might want to be careful about how we handle each other. We might want to be careful about how we handle our neighbors. We might want to be careful about the representation of the love of God that we're presenting on the internet. Because on November 7th, there has to be a church. Because locally church is the hope of the world. Because the local church is all the world has. You guys. It's not the political church that matters to the world. The person out there who's looking for an opportunity to find Jesus, they're willing to climb a tree or come through a church door to get to him. That person doesn't care about the politics of your church. That person doesn't actually care about your personal politics either. They care that they discover the love of Jesus in you. The local church needs the church, or the local church is needed by the world. Because they need Jesus now. They need him now. And you are that Jesus. The local church needs to be there on November 7th because it's the local church that God chose to use to point people to a tree just outside of Jerusalem. Father God, I pray for your blessing upon us. Because if there's anything true about all of us, it is that we are all broken.
that we get angry about dumb things sometimes. We align ourselves in foolish ways. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness today again for all of those foolish and dumb things. And oh, we pray that we would be different tomorrow. We pray for a more spirit-led life. A more spirit-led personal life and thought life. more spirit-led public life. Father, we pray for transformation of this church one by one so that we might somehow represent Jesus. Jesus in his name.